Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Take your Bibles this morning, go to Psalm 51. I am absolutely elated that you're back after last week's message, focused on finances, and you came back, so I am thrilled. Uh, This morning, I would like to continue with our theme, and I would like to... I'll preach a message uh, on focused on forgiveness. And uh, this is really going to be a two-part message, uh, if not three parts. We'll see how the Lord leads. But uh, today is going to be a foundational message that I think is instrumental in um, the context that 100% of us need this message. For there's not a single one among us who has not sinned. Every single one of us, we have sinned. Every single one of us continue to sin. But there's a big difference. In the world, they sin. That's their nature. They were born to sin and do wrong and to think wrong and to act wrong. But when Jesus, the Jesus that the choir sang about this morning, when Jesus comes into our life and radically changes us with the gospel message, There's something that happens, a transformation takes place in our life in which the Holy Spirit of of the living God comes to live within us. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? You don't have to wonder if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you know it because the Holy Spirit lives within you. And that Holy Spirit, there's a mechanism that the Holy Spirit uses. And oftentimes it's something that we don't like, but it's a, a word that could best be described is the word guilt. So this morning, with God's help, I'd like to preach a message simply entitled, Focus on Forgiveness, Exchange Guilt for Grace. In Psalm 51, we're going to read a story. It's a lengthy story, so we're going to do it responsibly. So let's stand together as we read Psalm 51. Pastor Jonathan will lead you in the even verses. I will read the odd verses. And so let's read this. Now, as you are now standing... If you do not have a Bible, the words will be on the screen behind me. But I'd like for you to look up here for just a moment. The reality is, is that every one of us can place ourselves in this story. Now, not to the degree that David actually committed adultery and and, uh, sinned and lost a child as a result of that sin, was injured as the king and his reputation. Uh, I'm not talking about that. I don't know that anyone in here is a murderer. I do not know that. I don't plan on you going to murder someone this week. But we can all place ourselves in this story in that, is that we've had that oops moment in our life when we have done wrong, we have said something, we have done something, we have been caught, and we've like, oh no, and we have a hard time getting over that sin, that transgression, and it seems like I have ruined my life. I had an abortion, my life is over. I had sex before marriage, my life is over. I stole something. I looked at pornography. I was involved in pornography. I, 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 you, whatever sin that may be here this morning, and there are hundreds and hundreds of sins. I cannot name all of them. The reality is that every one of us have sinned. Is that true? And oftentimes, we think our life is over, and 
and we can never be restored. I personally think that Psalm 51 is the greatest singular passage of Scripture when it comes to dealing with our sin and how I can be restored before God. So please, don't just do a responsive reading and just go through the motions. Try to hear in both your soul and in your mind what the psalmist David is writing back to God. Here we go. David says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions or sin. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and and my sin, that which we were just talking about, it's ever before me. In other words, I cannot get it out of my mind. Excuse me, I'm not supposed to be preaching as I go. You guys go ahead. Verse 4. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Father, I ask that you will, you will truly help those who are hurting today. Father, may your Holy Spirit help those who are struggling with some past sin, some burden that they're carrying. And Father, today, would you deliver? Would you help people to be willing to exchange that overwhelming guilt for your grace? Father in heaven, I ask that you will meet with us at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I say guilt has fallen on hard times. Years ago, uh, when someone did something wrong, guilt paraded around in broad uh, uh, daylight, and people knew they were guilty. They often acted appropriately, and more recently, guilt has been relegated to the shadows, and people just have some type of vague guilt and shame. They put it down into the basement of their hearts. Today's teenager and single adult and younger person, guilt cannot even be found in people. We become calloused to sin, the consequences of sin. And thanks to the psychological community, our guilt has been examined, it's been explained, and it has been excused away today. And you don't need to feel guilty, others will tell you. 
The world doesn't want you to understand that the Holy Spirit of God lives within you and will convict you of sin. The world says this, guilt and shame are the illegitimate inner children born of dastardly authority systems. In other words, if your parents and teachers were not so messed up, you wouldn't be either. Guilt uh, may not be a basket of goodies, but neither is it a Necessarily the big bad wolf, as they say. Do you realize guilt's not even a thing? It's not even an entity with an existence of its own. However, it is a reality. Guilt is the reality that tells us that there's the entity of sin within our lives. And there's not a single one among us this morning that does not have sin in our lives. But the spiritual pain of guilt is often useful. Maybe I can illustrate this way. Just like the physical pain of guilt. In one sense, it would be more pleasant if I could put my hand on a hot stove and not get burned. But on the other hand, I'm thankful that I have that pain sensation that keeps me from burning my hand. Uh, Can guilt be illegitimate? I suppose it's possible. Occasionally, maybe a nerve reports a sensation that, uh, that, that to a, some type of stimulus that's not really real. But 99% of the time, nerves are pretty reliable that if I touch something that's pointed or I touch something that is hot, there's a reaction. Uh, so I certainly think, spiritually speaking, there's at least one thing uh, more dangerous than illegitimate feelings of guilt, and it is this, illegitimate feelings of innocence. And I want you to understand this morning, in 2024, we are living in a society where we justify our guilt and our sin because we will use a comparison. I'm not as bad as someone else. I haven't felt any consequences. I got away with it. And so, therefore, everything must be okay. It did not dismiss the feeling of guilt in his life. He embraced it. He examined it. He then exchanged that guilt for God's grace here in Psalm 51. His experience of forgiveness, it was deep and it was real. And you can feel his emotion as he was talking about it. And it renewed a right spirit. And it enabled him to walk steadfastly with God. I want everyone to listen to this. Sin crushes our spirits. Sin paralyzes us. Sin robs us of the joy of our salvation. Does it take away our salvation? No. But it certainly can rob us of the joy of our salvation. And and sin quenches the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And sin gives uh, a foothold to the enemy, Satan, in our lives. And when we allow Satan to have a foothold in our lives, he will damage us. Guilt tells us sin is doing business in our life. It is put there by the Holy Spirit of God. However, may I just say this, while sin crushes us, repentance turns the table on sin. In addition, grace just eliminates it altogether. And replacing guilt with the spiritual uh, sensation of 
uh, of peace. And, and the reality uh, of peace indicates the, the entity of God's Spirit is alive and it is present within us. And, and uh, guilt for grace, may I just ask you this morning, who wouldn't want that deal? Only a fool would not make that deal. God says he will exchange the guilt of your sin and the shame of your sin with his grace. But why do we choose to hold on to the sin and the guilt that comes with that? Guilt was designed to lead to confession, not denials and alibis and plea bargains. I'm, I'm thankful that we have a judicial system here in the United States of America, but do you realize that it has become so perverted, so gray to black rather than white, that the whole design of our current judicial system is to help a guilty person get off with as least as possible. And that's why billions of dollars are spent to hire attorneys to make the guilty person go free. That's not what guilt is designed to do. Guilt is that mechanism that allows someone to see that, that criminals in God's court do not often own up to their own crimes either, and they try to get away with it. And Paul wrote uh, to the church of Corinth, he said, listen, there are some of you who think you can pervert the communion experience, convert the Lord's Supper, and he says, as a result, some of you have died because of that. But unlike the world system, God, he offers a full pardon to all those who are willing to admit their guilt. Not dumb it down. Not, not, not try to justify it. But those who will admit and cast themselves at the mercy of God's court, he will exchange your guilt for grace. And so today's message teaches us how to do that. Let me give you a quick background. If you go to Second, you know, I want you to turn here, but in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, there's a story about King David. And in this story, we know that he had an affair with Bathsheba, and as a result of that affair, he murdered her husband, Uriah. He's a pretty good dude, right? He's the king. And even though David has been described as a man after God's own heart, he sinned terribly. I want to give you hope this morning. I don't think any of us have been called a man or a woman after God's own heart. And we still sin terribly. And we may not have sinned to the degree of David. In fact, there may be no one here that, that as I said earlier by way of introduction, that, that committed adultery or really he looked on a woman and lusted after her. That's like the sin of pornography, only it was live pornography as he stood on his now, on, on the balcony when he was supposed to be in war and looked down and he saw Bathsheba and he looked at her and he lusted after her and he wanted her. That's sort of like pornography. And then he actually committed adultery. And then after committing adultery, I uh, realized that Bathsheba was pregnant with, a, uh, with his child. And so then he has to commit murder to cover up that sin. And Uriah was an honorable man, an honorable husband. He refused to even go have relations with his wife Bathsheba when he was brought home from war. And David, he was always plotting, and he sent Uriah to the front of the line, which was not what he should have done. Thus he died, and then he lost that child, and he began to mourn. David's life was falling apart. What an awkward moment it must have been when the prophet Nathan came and confronted him and told him a story. 
Um, and in that story there in, in 2 Samuel 11 and, 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 and chapter 12, tells him that story. And David got raw, uh, wroth, overwrought with anger about the story. And, and Nathan, he pointed his finger. Nathan is now older in his life at this time, probably stooped over an older man. He pointed his finger at David and said, Thou art what? The man. You're the man in the story that I just told you. With this in mind, David is at the lowest point of his life. And no doubt there are men and women, young men, young ladies today. You're at a point in your life where you say, I'm useless. I've sinned. And I don't know if there's anyone here that could say, yes, my story is just like David. He's, pretty, he's in pretty rough bad shape. And with that in mind, there are five principles that we could learn from the life of David here that could help us this morning, myself included, about how we can overcome and exchange God's guilt, or the guilt of the world for God's grace. May we do that this morning. Here's principle number one. And you have to do, you have to be willing to do all five of these principles. Principle number one is never ignore guilt. Never ignore guilt. It is a mechanism that God has created because of the work of the Holy Spirit that tells us that there is a problem in our life. And it's important to deal with guilt as soon as you experience that guilt or that panging, uh, that, that, that gnawing from the Holy Spirit. There's nothing to gain and much to lose by brushing aside those guilty feelings. And the world says, you're not guilty. The world says, hey, listen, just, it's be you. You didn't really do wrong. It's not as bad as you think. And if David had dealt with the guilt of his adultery, guess what? He would have never committed murder. If David had dealt with both sins before Nathan confronted him, he may not have lost his son, or he may not have faced severe discipline as the king. It's very tempting to ignore guilt, and it's very tempting to assume our sin will automatically be forgiven, automatically forgotten. Not People are capable of holding grudges for an entire lifetime. There are some of you who are in your 60s and your 70s and your 80s, and you are holding on to a hurt. You are holding on to a, a sin from your past, and you're not willing to release it and let it go. Beware. God always disciplines those he loves. And if you say this morning as I'm seated here, I am in Christ, as surely as you are seated here this morning, I assure you that if you are a Bible-believing, blood-bought Christian, you cannot get away with sin indefinitely because God loves you and you will be disciplined. So never ignore guilt. It's the warning light. It tells you, I have done wrong. So therefore, number two, seek forgiveness immediately. You had a horrible fight with your spouse, seek forgiveness immediately. You said something that was wrong to a co-worker and you know it was wrong, but they had it coming, pastor, if you just knew what kind of worker they were. You said something that was wrong to a co-worker who is unsaved, who's supposed to act that way, but you were just like them. Seek forgiveness immediately. 
Sometimes the obvious escapes our notice. Of course we should seek forgiveness for our sin. My question is, why don't we do this more often? And failure to seek forgiveness speaks volumes about our pride, our irresponsibility, our ego, our callousness. An apology shows that we've humbled ourselves and taken responsibility. And could I just quickly remind you of Psalm 51, verse 1 and 2 again. The Bible says, Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, would you, Heavenly Father, be willing to blot out? That means to make it disappear. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Three different ways, he says, I, I need for this to just go away. That can only happen if we're willing to seek forgiveness for our sin. Here's principle number three. Explore the depth of your sin. Explore the depth of your sin. David illustrates this. You know a quick and thoughtless, oh, sorry. It means little, especially if you do it repeatedly. Oh, sorry. Um, sometimes we have to understand why. Why do I have this sin? Why is this sin a besetting sin? Why is it that I do this sin and it causes hurt to other people? David here in Psalm 51, he goes way beyond a flippant, sorry, get over it. What's the big deal? That's not his attitude, which is often our attitude. He says he knows his sin. And here's how he says it, because it's always before him. I just can't get rid of it. He admits he's a sinner at the core in verse number 5. And he, he admits that he has ignored the spiritual truth from God that, that God has taught him in verse number 6. But can you just sense David in verse number 3? He says this, for I acknowledge. I acknowledge my transgressions. What were his transgressions? It was a bad thought life. He looked at things he wasn't supposed to look at. He lusted after a woman, which he shouldn't have done that. He committed adultery, which he shouldn't have done that. He actually committed murder. In other words, I acknowledge my transgressions. I, I am before you, God. I am saying that I am a lustful. I am a murderer. I'm an adulterer. I am a liar. And he says that before God. I acknowledge my transgression. And the reason I acknowledge is my sin is ever before me. Everywhere I go, I, look, I go over here and I can't, I can't get rid of it. I go over here, I can't get rid of it. I go over here, I can't get rid of it. My sin, everywhere I turn, is before me. And then David does something that we just, myself included, is very hard to do. We say this, shamefully, David said, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. In other words, we must be transparent before a God who already knows that we're a sinner. It's so hard to do. Do you realize, men and women, when you look at pornography, you're taking God into the room. So the God of heaven already knows what you're looking at. Do you realize that when you, and I could just name sin after sin after sin. You go, whew, whew, he didn't name mine. Listen, when you are rude and discourteous and hateful to your spouse, God knows. When you are laying in bed at night and you're privately wishing 
something evil on someone else that's wronged you. The God of heaven knows your thought life. When you are privately and no one else is around listening to music that's reprehensible, that's from Satan, the God of heaven knows what you're listening to. David is saying here is that I had to explore why I have this guilt. And the fact is, is that my sin has caused me this guilt. And God knows all about me. David acknowledges that. Now, I want everyone, I know there's a couple of people that may be distracted this morning, a couple of teenagers on their phones. I just ask you this morning, would you listen to this? Number four principle is the most important. It is the most important one. It's one word. We must repent. We must repent. In every one of us, we could find someone who is a little worse than us. Someone who sinned a little worse. I'm not talking about someone else. I'm talking about you. And I'm talking about Brent this morning. I'm saying, number one, this one word principle. It's both the noun. It's the verb. It's the adjective. It's the adverb. It's the dangling participle. It's, it's the entirety of the English language. One word encompasses, and we all understand it. One word with an exclamation point is this. Repent. God, I'll never do it again, is an empty promise. That's not the prayer of repentance. Repentance is this, is an acknowledgement that I sinned against God. God, I sinned against you. That is repentance. David expresses his desire to be pure and steadfast and spirit-filled and joyful and willing to serve God and re-engage. But he knows this change can only be created. It can only be sustained by God's work in him. God needed to do a creative restoration in the life of David. And David admits this. I cannot change myself. And so repentance is I acknowledge that I have sinned against the God of heaven and God, this terrible addiction I have to pornography, I cannot get victory over this apart from you. God, this terrible way I treat my spouse or my fiance or my girlfriend or my co-workers with my tongue, I cannot get victory. I acknowledge it. I have a problem. Repentance is I am acknowledging to God the severity of what's going on in my life. And God, apart from you, I cannot fix this problem. That's what verses 10 through 14 is all about. As David says, we have to have a new game plan here. Because apart from you, guess what? I'm going to look on another woman. I'm going to lust after her. I'm going to commit adultery with her. And, and I'm going to repeat this pattern. And so uh, unless we are willing to ask the God of heaven to help us, we will repeat our sin over and over again. It, we cannot make a deal with God. God, I'll not do this anymore. If you'll forgive me this one time, I promise I won't do it anymore. That doesn't work. And by the way, based on Psalm 51, that's not true repentance, and that is not a true change, and that is not exchanging our guilt for God's grace. The reality is, is that I must do an introspection into my life because God already knows who I am and be willing to say, God, I acknowledge, just as David has done, my sin. There has to be repentance. And here's the great joy of our message this morning, it leads to principle number five, is that if I will repent, truly repent, that I must accept that God's faithfulness 
is bigger than my failure. I must accept that God's faithfulness is bigger than my failure. May I ask you a question? And I'd like, for, I'd like to see if we can have 100% participation. How many of you have ever failed God? Our hands come down. That should be every one of us. We have all failed God. We've all let him down. But do you know that in his faithfulness, his giving you grace, it's way bigger than your failure. You don't have to live and sit in the wallow and wallow in your failures. We fail, but God's love is unfailing. We are faithless, but my God is faithful. And when we deal with guilt in a thorough and an honest manner, God's response is never in doubt. He forgives our sin. He cleanses us from our unrighteousness. John said, if we confess, that's the part of repentance, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins. And then I love this part, and to cleanse us. Isn't this what David prayed in Psalm 51, that he would be cleansed, his transgression blotted out, that it would be removed. This is what God promises if we confess. And God's faithfulness is so much bigger and so much better than our failures. God will forgive our failures. God takes no pleasure in ritualistic religion whether it's the burnt offerings or mindless prayers. You know, 2,000 years ago, it was offerings. Today, it's just we flippantly pray or don't even pray at all. But he does delight in broken hearts, and broken spirits that are offered to him. He takes away the guilt, and he replaces it with his grace, and it results in this real sensation of his love and his forgiveness. Many times we fail to give God, uh, 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 <coughs> excuse me, many times uh, we fail to give God a legitimate of apology for the things that we've done wrong and the sins that we've committed. Half, I will say this though, the half-hearted apologies, they do not affect God's willingness to forgive, but they do affect the experience of forgiveness. God wants to replace your guilt, and your failures with His blessings and His forgiveness. And the only way to get rid of guilt, the only way to experience grace is to offer a true confession to God. Well, Pastor, how do I do that? Do you know that some of, some of us, here's what we honestly need to do. This is, this is a suggestion. There are many among us who struggle in this area. And what we literally need to do is we need to close our iPad and we need to close our, uh, our phone or put it in a different room. We need to turn off the television, and I'm serious about this, and we need to close our laptop and we need to, to lock the children in their playroom. And we need to, to tell our spouse that you just need some private time. And I'm being serious. So, you know, maybe we need to write out a prayer of confession to God. That's what David did here in Psalm 51. Do you realize David could have done all this in his mind? 
But God allowed David to record this and so that we, many thousands of years later, we're preaching about it today. And we can experience and benefit from how David experienced real forgiveness and how the David experienced real grace. And maybe we need to write out, God, would you forgive me for dot, 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 dot. Well, what do I do with it? Because someone could find that. Well, maybe we ought to write it out and then say, God, pray it out loud. God, I, I am so sorry, and, and um, I, I'm sorry for this and this and this. And God, apart from your grace, I cannot get victory over this. Apart from you, I cannot have victory. But God, I desperately want vic- victory. And just like David said, God, would you create a clean heart in me? And would you give me a new start like you gave David? And remember that David became a man after God's own heart. Do you know why I believe that is true? Because David was completely transparent with God. Our transparency is limited by time, a failure to be honest, a failure to be transparent. And often we are so busy that, oh, it'll take care of itself. And the thing is, it never takes care of itself. It always Chases us. Not today, but in the, in the next week or so, we'll be uh, uh, observing the Lord's Supper. And Paul told the church of Corinth, let a man examine who? Himself. I'm asking you this morning, would you be willing to examine yourself? You could have a secret sin that no one else in your family knows about, or you have a public sin that everyone in your family knows about. But that doesn't matter. I want you to listen to this. That doesn't matter whether you have a secret or public sin. Here's what matters is God knows you have sin, whether it's secret or public. God knows you have sin. What will you do this morning?